0: Look at all the helpers I have. You just sit and watch me (laughs) labor. Happy New Year! Happy New Year! Year. And didn't it get off to a great start yesterday? (laughs) 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 If we can keep that kind of momentum going, we've got it made. Having read S.J. Perlman's article. I think S.J. Perlman's dead. Uh, you I'm mean Dahlman, I think. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna take him with me everywhere I <laughs> go. <your> <laughs> Thank you for making that correction. The article had to do with the tidal wave that took the lives of so many people. And it expressed concern of people as to where God was in all of this. It was the same thing that was expressed at 7-Eleven when so many innocent people died. And every time there is a tragedy, there is someone to ask the question, where is God? Why did he let this happen? She thought it was of sufficient importance that she would like for me to address it this morning, and so I will take just a moment or two to do that, if I have your permission to do so. (laughs) The article about which I spoke stated that one-fourth of the people who had been asked to respond to this great thing that happened. One-fourth said that God had caused it. Now, as to why He caused it, they had doubts and wonder.
1: It's a question
0: that comes when there's an individual tragedy in a family. Why did God let this happen? Now, let us begin by saying, God is all-powerful. God can do whatever God wants to do whenever God wants to do it. It isn't a question of whether He can change the events of history. It is simply, why do these things happen when God is in a position to prevent them? Now, let me admit that as limited as I am in knowing what's best for the world and for people, if i were god i would have somehow prevented the people getting killed in this great catastrophe if it were in my power i would stop automobiles from wrecking and taking the lives of the occupants if i were god i would stop everything before it happens that is detrimental to anyone's life that i'm not god And God knows far better than I. And when he acts, he acts with greater wisdom, greater knowledge than I could ever even dream about having. So it rests upon this one fact. Things happen in the world every day that we wish would be prevented. Knowing full well that God could prevent it. And so many of us would question, why does not God prevent these things? Now, God is able to prevent them, and sometimes God does. I pray, if I did not believe that God could alter any facts to my benefit, I wouldn't ask Him for those things. I would know full well that what's going to happen is going to happen, so why bother God in telling Him what I want out of it? And over the years of my life, I have to identify those times when I cannot account for those events taking place if it were not for the fact that God touched the heart of someone, put an idea in someone's mind, or in one way or another, acted in a way that my life was made better. And I think each of you can do the same. So God can. And God does. But not all the time. The question that has arisen from this great tragedy is why did God let innocent people suffer? One of the heart-wrenching comments made was parents were crying out, My children are dead. Why couldn't it have been me? Why did God take them and let me live? And how many times that has been said uh, all throughout history. Why did not God act? differently in this instance. Well, this is not Eden. We had it and we blew it. If it had been Eden, there wouldn't be earthquakes and all of these tragedies that would inflict upon us heartbreak and pain and suffering. The world fell from grace and our relationship with God is on an entirely different plane than it would be if we had never fallen from God's grace. Having done so, we have to take the consequences of living in a world in which God allows nature to act out itself and we become victims of the acts of nature whenever they occur. The world is created scientifically. It isn't a miracle that is acting against the laws of nature. The laws of nature are the laws of God. I mentioned only a few weeks ago about the uh, Scientist in Oak Ridge that said we don't discover anything except where God has been we don't find something that says this is how it is instead of God we are just simply saying these are God's footprints there's nothing in science that surprises God because he created all that exists in the world so therefore with the world set in motion cause and effect things happen, and we don't like them many times. But what if God intervened every time to prevent events taking place that would adversely affect the life of anyone? Well, we would be so complacent, we would never look out for ourselves. God's going to take care of me, so why should I bother? If I live a reckless life, it doesn't matter, because God's going to take care of me. We have to be responsible for our acts and many times they're detrimental to us. And when acts of nature occur, if we happen to be at a particular time, then that's why we were affected by it and not someone else. We are living in a world in which events play out themselves and God does not interfere with them when they become adverse to our well-being. He can, but He doesn't. If we blame God for all these things, think of the guilt that we're putting upon God's shoulders. God is responsible for this because He could have prevented it. He didn't, so He's to blame. He's a bad guy. If we believe in predestination, we can believe that from the very beginning until the present moment and until time ends, Everything that takes place is by God's design. It is His will. He set forth in motion that which would bring this about and therefore we can't change it. If you do not believe in predestination, you simply believe that the acts of nature, the laws of nature in process, in conflict with where we are and what we want. We have to resolve it by simply saying that God does not change the laws of nature simply because of an event that is displeasing to anyone of Where was God? The same place he was when we killed his son. He didn't interfere with I don't want to take more time on this. But I hope that I clarified it. Somewhat. If not, tell me. Hey, Amen.
1: Yes. Oh, Did Jesus say something about in the world, we will have accumulation? Yes. But be of good cheer.
0: Thank you. Quite well made. Sometimes adversity is stronger. Good can come out of adversity, and when we yield ourselves, then Though we would not want that adversity to take place, it is not destructive to the extent to which we cannot grow from it and become better persons. We grow through adversity. I don't want to grow, I'm happy with myself. water bag gave an example of that journey
1: service.
0: Heard from that he in college he had that happen he to on, God well simply put God did not cause the tidal wave it was an act of nature an earthquake underwater that put into play events that resulted in the death of the world is filled with tornadoes earthquakes hurricanes that are destructive but it is a natural way in which the world is played out and god does not manipulate nature any more than he manipulates us by a string that takes away freedom nature has freedom and we have freedom and god does not interfere in that except in certain instances individually when there is a reason for god to do so but if God always leveled the path and there were never any obstacles, there would be nothing to challenge us, cause us to be better. We would be loafers upon God generally. Now let's take a quantum leap. Years ago there was a television program on called Quantum. Leap, you may have watched it. It was one of our favorites, particularly Carlene's, and so Brad gave her a collection of Quantum Leap DVDs for Christmas, and we watched one the other evening. If you're not familiar, Quantum Leap has to do with a person who by some aberration is able to leap from one time to another over the course of his own lifetime, entering into the lives of other people and changing their lives for the better, avoiding some of the pitfalls that otherwise would be there. And it's a delightful story. But it is a matter of ignoring the passage of time chronologically, but just going from one age to another. So that's what we're doing this morning. Because the last time we came together, Jesus was a little baby in Bethlehem. Now we've taken a quantum leap forward and today it's 30 years later. What occurred during those 30 years we have no record of except for one moment in that period of time when Jesus went to Jerusalem and He became acquainted with the temple and the temple teachers, the many things that were there, and He became enamored of them because this was His Father's house. And after a delay He returned to Nazareth with His parents where the Bible said he was living with them, submissive to them, growing in wisdom and stature. Now suddenly he emerges again 30 years later. It is a book of Mark that tells us of these events in the life of Jesus. And Mark is different from the other Synoptic Gospels. He emphasizes more who Jesus was, what jesus did more than what jesus taught luke and matthew are more interested in telling what jesus taught so we have the best of two worlds mark is the first of all the gospels they are the recollections of peter john mark who wrote the book was the companion of paul on his missionary journey the nephew of barnabas It was one who became a close companion of Paul later on, after Paul had rejected him on their missionary journey. And some think that it was John Mark, who was a young man in the garden, hiding in a distance, watching what Jesus was doing on the night that he was arrested. And when the soldiers grabbed his garment to arrest him too, he fled under cover of darkness. And it was in his mother's home that the upper room was eaten meal was eaten. And so he plays a very prominent role in all of the story. But his primary role here now is he engaged the mind of Peter and translated it into events that became the gospel mark. There's his name, but what you're hearing are the sermons of Peter. He strikes home immediately in every instance. He's a man of action. He loves the word immediately, because repeatedly the word immediately introduces what's coming next. And so it's a very dynamic word. And it starts out with Jesus going into action. He doesn't take time to talk about things leading up to it. He just simply puts Jesus into motion. Jesus stayed in the background until John the Baptist was in prison. John the Baptist was chosen to be the one who would introduce Jesus to the world. We all need introductions. If a speaker is to stand on the podium and entertain you with his ideas for a while, you want to know who he is. Where does he come from? What is the validity of his credentials that allows him to speak on these subjects? And so we pick someone who's very articulate and colorful, and that person stands up and builds an image before he speaks so that you're eager to hear what he's got to say because of what the person who introduced the speaker has said. John the Baptist introduced Jesus to the world. And once having introduced Jesus to the world, then there was a conflict. Here was Jesus on the one hand and he was John the Baptist on the other. Many thought John the Baptist himself was the Messiah. He denied it quickly. But there was Jesus on the other side. They were cousins. But there were disciples of each. How would they adapt themselves to the other if both were to carry on ministries? There was a conflict in one of the large churches in Knoxville where a staff member had been on the staff for about 30 years as an employee. And he had seen many ministers come and go, many other staff persons come and go. And the longer he stayed, the more strength and power he gained among the people in the congregation. You know, Bob, Bob was your beloved pastor here at Munson. He went to that church. Bob said to me, the bishop said, you go in and straighten out that church. You're the pastor. He's not. He's only the business manager. A good friend of mine was a minister of youth, and he said at the first staff meeting, Bob stood up and he said, there can only be one captain of the ship. And it looks like I'm that captain. Well, it was what had to be said with John the Baptist and Jesus. I am the Messiah. John cannot be the Messiah. Yet there was that conflict, and that conflict would carry on even after John the Baptist had died. So Jesus did not go in while John the Baptist was actively preaching so that the two would be competitive. He waited until John was in prison and his <coughs> ministry was over. And then he became active in his own ministry. He came to Nazareth, says Mark. How does one introduce himself to a people when you are going to be a dynamic force in their lives? How are you going to say to them, this is what you can expect of me. This is why I have come. If you will follow the teachings of Jesus throughout all of the gospels, if you will follow the events of his life, you will discover that none of them veer away from the very thing that he proclaimed When he first stepped out on the scene, he said, the time has arrived. Everyone wanted to hear those words because for centuries the people had been waiting. When will God's kingdom come? They had been awaiting it generation after generation. The time will come when Israel is restored. Jesus said, don't look any further the time is here the kingdom of heaven is at hand when the people of israel had awaited for centuries for such a time only dying to see that it had not been fulfilled dying in hope unfulfilled now those in his hearing could say We don't have to wait any longer. Everything that we've waited for, now has come. The kingdom of heaven is here. (coughs) There is the kingdom of the earth, and there is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus played upon those two worlds. And the entire Bible has to do with the conflict that we deal with in trying to bring those two worlds into sync in our own individual lives living in this world, but living for and in the manner of the kingdom of God, which is apart from this world. Jesus said, now you wait no longer, the kingdom of God is here. He said, repent. One of the most dynamic words in Scripture is the word, repent. Repent is a revolving door. It is through repentance that we turn around and move in a new direction. It doesn't come without repentance, simply because as long as we hold on to what is in the past, we can't accept the future. You can't have both worlds. You've got to renounce the one in order to embrace the other. And so the word repent simply says, I have lived in a particular way. I see a better way. I'm renouncing the past in order to embrace the future. Too many people think that you can be a part of the kingdom of God without repenting of the life that we have lived up to this time. It just can't happen. And Jesus spoke that as the priority word on announcing the coming of the kingdom. His next word was repent. Change the direction of your life. Put in words that he would use later on. Be born again. Give up the ways of the world. Adopt the ways of heaven. Repent. And then he said, hear the good news. Jesus brought with him good news. I love to be with people who have good news to tell. I don't like people who brings a frown to my face and makes me feel dejected and that nothing is going right. I love to be in the company of people who smile readily and have a pat on the back and some encouraging words. Good news. The gospel. (coughs) Good news. What is the good news? The good news is we have no need to wonder any longer about what is true and what is untrue. Everything that was said prior to the coming of Jesus was conditional in its truth. Sometimes it was ultimate truth, sometimes it was truth as seen in circumstances but it was always seen through the eyes of a human being a person who is finite in their understanding that jesus was anything but that. i am the truth jesus said so all we have to do is to lock onto his mind and to listen to his words and we've got truth we don't debate it because jesus said it there is so much that we need to understand today what is truth and what is fabrication passing itself off as truth. There is only one source of truth in the world, and that is Jesus Christ. He had the mind of God, He revealed God's truth to the world, and we can play upon that and we can apply that truth, but there is no other source for truth except in the mind revealed to us through Christ and through his disciples as truth emerges in our lives as well. But the roots of our truth is in the revelations of Jesus. Jesus loves me, this I know, because the Bible tells so. We have to have a root of our certainty. Jesus came saved. I am bringing truth. Except the good news, he said. I am the bringer of good news, not only the good news of truth, but the good news of hope. We don't have to live in fear in your Hope is a theological word that says <coughs> it's not fanciful thinking. It is built upon the ability to, of God to do things and to make things happen. There is no time that life becomes hopeless, except when we become hopeless within ourselves. There is always hope, because Christ affirmed hope in the Gospel. He came with the concept of immortality, because He lives, we live. Without the person of Christ and having revealed that life does exist beyond death, we would still wonder and we would still debate about the fact of whether there is immortality. The belief in immortality was late coming about in the Jewish mind. It was just a few generations before Christ himself. Prior to that, there was no sense of immortality. And among the Sadducees, there was still no belief in immortality. But Jesus brought it to the fore. You don't stop living when death comes. You keep on living because death is only a transition between two worlds. He came with the good news of immortality. And he came with the good news of salvation. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And you can come to the Father through me. You don't have to look anywhere else. Here's the door marked enter. Open the knob, turn the knob, open the door and walk in. Is that so? This is how Jesus pronounced what His ministry was to be. If He were to embark upon the course that He followed, He could not do it alone. It is a wise man who surrounds himself with people who are capable energetic who are dependable as a church pastor with a staff over the years the best thing that you can do for a minister is to give him a good staff and let him not be jealous of the credit they get when they go out and do great things because one person can inspire many and those many can accomplish many things jesus could not do what he set out to do alone but he could surround himself with people who would get a spirit of what he was what he wanted he would nurture them and then when he was gone they would continue and they would nurture others i love the idea of apostolic succession which exists in the ministry of the church of england the episcopal (coughs) church and that is that Every priest has laid upon him the mantle of the one before and it reaches all the way back to Peter and then ultimately to Christ himself. An unbroken line of authority given through the succession of truth passed on from one apostle to the other. Jesus surrounded himself with men who would catch the sense of who he was and interpret it to the world. Who would he pick? I know who I would pick. I would go to Harvard University, Oxford University. I would go to all the greatest places of learning and I would say, who is the outstanding person on your faculty that can understand and interpret this particular thing? Or I would go to those who are out in the world working and doing and have already made a reputation for themselves. I certainly wouldn't pick a bunch of fishermen Out on a boat, (coughs) lolling through the sun, dragging a net, uneducated. That's exactly what he did. He did it because he didn't have to undo a lot. He had good, primitive, solid material to work with from the very beginning hardest thing in the world is to change somebody's mind. He didn't have to change their minds. He just had to (coughs) shape their minds. Now, obviously, they were capable persons. He wouldn't have chosen someone who was incapable, but their nature was of such, he could shape them into the persons that they needed to be. And each had personality strengths that allowed them to be faithful, strong, and carry on the work that he did. And each did. With the exception of Judas, no one fell away. With the exception of Judas, no one disappointed them. They were a good choice. Having chosen, as Mark identified the six, there were more to come, but the six who were fishing. He said, the thing about it is, they didn't question the moment that he said, follow me. They didn't say, well, we'll think about it. Give us a few days. We've got some things to do before we can make that kind of commitment. They dropped their nets. They rushed away with him, and they walked off into the distance. Mark saw that as a mark of a true disciple. Unquestioning, called to serve, to serve. Well, once they were chosen, then they went to Capernaum. Capernaum would be the place where Jesus would carry out His ministry. That would be His role. And Sunday came, or Sabbath, Saturday. They went to the synagogue. And as is true in Jewish synagogues, persons present are invited to get up and elaborate upon the scripture that's been written. And Jesus was given that opportunity. Here, he faced the people now for the first time, theologically, as a speaker of authority. And when he was finished, there was total silence. They whispered to one another, Who is this man? He speaks with authority, not as a scribe. The scribes' authority rests upon somebody else. He speaks with authority from himself. He is the authority. They recognize that immediately. The power of Christ from the very beginning was the authority that was in him, placed by God, and recognizable to the people that he spoke. He spoke with authority. And then there was a man in the synagogue possessed of demons. And thank goodness my time was up. <laughs> <laughs> you have to handle the demons on your own. <laughs> any <laughs> questions or any comment on today, Jim? one quick call I was heard of it was about the tsunami. And you know, I
1: was thinking of, uh, Comment that was made this morning on television that we interviewed in a freelance report about comparing the devastation to a hurricane or many just lightning different disasters we He said amazing the amazing thing to him was that it was 30 or 50 yards inland. Well,
0: there may some good that they've out of this, even if it's
1: done And Mungy Church shouldn't
0: have been over a Well we, we have a great hand in determining our own destinies, that's for sure, and that's uh, uh, a good point. But I hope that the point that I could make, and I was very inarticulate in expressing it, I was aware at the time, but what I wanted to say above all of this, God does not punish us through events, and God, God does not prevent events from taking place that would normally have a negative impact on our lives. Because we can't blame God for this. Every one of you has perfect attention <laughs> I wonder how long we can go without breaking the Thank you so
1: much.